0: This is Clive Torin, Helix News, reporting from Paradiso Front Lines at FOB Sandsmark. Morat forces are swarming O 12 positions and appear set to overrun defensive perimeter of orbital defense. Sh- sh- John. So this is uh, episode one of the Coordinated Order show, and uh, we're going to talk to our listeners a little bit about what brings you to Infinity, the tabletop game, some of the basic core elements of the game, and how to unpack those as a new player and become familiar with them in a way that means that you can crunch through the game and its more difficult components and really enjoy the hobby. So where to begin? First off, what is Infinity? Infinity is a game that has... Many different aspects, most of which involve blowing people up and shooting them off the table and so on. Guys, thoughts?
1: It's probably the best skirmish style game I've ever played. Uh, What drew me into Infinity is that it's so much like old school Necromunda that I played 20 years ago and I loved. Then I got into Warhammer. And then I got out of Warhammer, uh, machine, uh, and then infinity. And I just, I just love the dynamic of it. The models are beautiful. It's just so much fun to play for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Haley, what, what drew you to infinity?
2: Well, I'm always a sucker for story kind of above all else. Uh, I like most war gamers got started in, uh, in Warhammer and 40 K and, 40K and you know one game is very much like another once you you kind of get to grips with the rules um infinity is a little different because there's so much you can do that once you really sink your teeth in the rules you there's i mean a world of options of things you can do which is one of the reasons why i've stuck with it for so long and love it so much but Mm -hmm. what really attracted me like you can tell that this is a game who's origins is an RPGs, like more than any other game I've played, every miniature really feels like they bring something different to the table and can do something really cool that you you don't really get that sense in a lot of other war games. I mean an infantryman is an infantryman. You know, he's got a gun, cool. That guy's got a bigger gun. Oh that's that's kinda neat I guess. Whereas here everyone's got like, you know, superpowers or, you know, is helping to funnel orders to the giant death machine tag running on the battlefield or the hackers are switching off people's brains or people are coming out of nowhere like there's just so
0: much going on i just i I love the feel to it Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely got a slick modern and sci-fi feel which i found i was immediately attracted to uh when i discovered this game actually a couple years ago in 2013 uh, the first game i played i used a combined army morat which is like the space monkey oni type dudes and i ran up to a Magariba Guard tank, which is like the tank from like Appleseed anime kind of thing. And I put smoke down. So I put a smoke grenade to cover my advance, and I moved the Datarazi into close combat with this giant tank thing. And it proceeded to just wreck this tank in close combat with its axe. And I was like, this game is awesome. my buddy's like, that's not supposed to <laughs> <laughs> So, Yeah. But I was I was definitely smitten at that point, you know, because I'd come from other games, as I think many people tend to do is, you know, you, you look for that perfect system that kind of that uh, sticks all the, all the points that you're looking for in a strategy game. And I, and I really loved XCOM and getting into XCOM and Infinity and, and sort of seeing the similarities and differences and really celebrating the game mechanics that are just so unique in the industry it's one of the reasons why I've kind of stuck with it as long as I have and why we're talking about it on the show.
2: I think the one kind of big mechanic that drew my attention initially was, was the whole idea of the, the ARO. Um, Mm -hmm. I've also played Necromunda back in the day and I remember, you know, going on overwatch, Mm -hmm. but I, I also have, you know, bad memories of having kind of a, bad table setup, and the one guy had just his entire gang sitting in a multi-story apartment building with every gun under the sun pointed out the same window on overwatch was, all right i i put my uh, my guy out the corner he immediately dies yeah this game's great but uh <laughs> it, it was really neat to to try out an infinity and it, it makes the entire gaming experience a lot more cooperative it's, it's not so much I go with my stuff, and then sit down and quietly wait for you to go with your stuff. Everything that happens is is a very engaging thing, and that's that's what uh, first piqued my interest mechanically, and it's, is is still keeping my interest.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the whole idea of being able to react in situations keeps both players engaged, and I, I use this I use the terminology a lot, but it's it's I think fundamentally part of the game, and that is installing player agency. In every action and reaction in the game, where in other games you know you have your whole turn, you move your models, you shoot with your models, you kind of do your thing, mm-hmm. um, and then after that your opponent goes. Whereas in, in this sort of setup, every time there is a action, there is a reaction, and that keeps both players engaged and kind of talking and having fun and keeping the experience, I think, a little bit more light. Because if you're sitting there waiting for half an hour for your turn. <laughs> while well, your stuff's getting blown up in certain types of games that can be well not as not as a positive experience i would say
2: and there's other games that have uh kind of experimented with the i go you go with individual models games like malifo or guild ball where it, it's a little more immersive and you, you don't have to wait half an hour between turns but it's mm-hmm. still i do everything that i want to do with my model and then i'm done and then i wait for you to do everything with your model and that that has its you know tactical side where you can kind of predict. Okay, if I move with this, then my opponent's got something. What am I going to counter with? But y- you really don't have that that same level of cooperation with your opponent that the uh, the ARO mechanic in Infinity gives you. It, it really feels like there's no such thing as my turn, your turn, per <laughs> se. It, it's it's very much let's see what's happening on the battlefield now. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, in terms of what is Infinity the game? To unpack that, I think you know you've got lots of good media on the Corvus Bellet website, which kind of describes, roughly speaking, uh, the setting. John, what is Infinity the game for you? Is it is it the hobby? Is it the lore and narrative? Is it the mechanics, or is it you know a seamless blend of all of these elements?
1: Well, like I said, like uh, coming from and loving Necromunda from back in the day, that that really drew me toward the game. But before that, uh, I want, like I had the Akira on VHS. Cause I was part of the mm-hmm. science fiction movie club or not science fiction, but the anime movie club way back in the early nineties and Akira, like I loved Akira. And when I first saw, uh, you Jing, I fell in love with the bikers and because yeah. they, they look, they <laughs> look like Akira, like the, the bike right in the main cover of the, the movie. So after that, like I, I got, I looked, started looking at uh, Infinity and N2. Um, and I, heard, I just heard a lot of people complaining about the rules and whatnot. So as soon as N3 came out, that's when I started diving into the game. And I played tons of games, proxying all the models because um, we didn't have any. And I, we played, you know, probably 50, 60 games like that. Before we actually mm-hmm. purchase any models, just it was just it's just so much fun, um, and you know the ARO aspect, keeping both players involved and engaged, uh, is such a huge highlight for me for this game, uh, and definitely probably the biggest draw. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So talking then from what. It is to core concepts. Uh, You mentioned, of course, like Akira and some of the sort of inspirations that the game may or may not draw from. I've been playing since uh, the previous edition of the game, and it had a very pronounced anime, manga influence at that stage. And they've kind of pivoted a little bit away from that, but still it, it retains its roots as sort of an RPG complex style game with the elements of stuff like Akira, Ghost in the Shell, Pat labor and some of those really formative like 1990s early 2000s or even in some cases 80s anime series were there any sort of moments in in film or television that you were just like ah oh, that's infinity the entire series altered carbon on netflix <laughs> uh, reset the clock
2: yeah <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah that, i mean i would read the book uh the first one I, I didn't find out till the series came out that it's a um, a trilogy, so I I need to get my hands on the rest of them, but yeah, mm-hmm. that, uh, that was, it, it, it paralleled it so well. And, uh, yeah, I just, I couldn't watch that without just instinctively putting characters into various factions. I'm like, all right, yeah, you're, you're clearly, blo- you're clearly part of Pano. You're, you're probably a Yu Jing agent. You work for Aleph. I don't care what you say.
0: <laughs> yeah. So with all the sort of media influences that we may have kind of drawn from with like the Akira motorcycles and the X-Men sculpts for, I guess, nomads, like the Bakunin sculpt and stuff like that, it's very meta-textual, I think, in a way. It kind of references external content in a knowing fashion, in 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 a sort of tip of the hat, but not overtly. It doesn't do that all the time. But the source material for Infinity for me is one of the reasons why I got into the game. And it's that. The lore of the universe is quite rich, and it's Absolutely. dynamic. It's moving. It's one of those settings where anything can happen. You know, in in the next couple of months, a faction or a planet could get nuked and get totally removed. It could still be playable, but it's no longer being officially for going forward supported like the French on on Dawn or on Ariadne, right? So it's stuff like that where I think they are unafraid. To embrace change and dynamic updates for the game's setting as well as the, the rules, which is really brave because people don't want to have their models squatted to use a colloquialism.
2: It also but, it, it makes it more engaging from a player standpoint because I mean, guys like me who who buy into the you know the the background and the the fluff for back, lack of a better term as much as anything else. I mean, one of the reasons why I play Islam is because I absolutely love the the you know the fremen aesthetic but the the history that goes into that that you know the the deep historical cuts they've they've gone into with a lot of their units and kind of how the faction feels and the story is is super cool so if you you buy into that it's not just you know here's a really cool faction here's some really cool facts in five years it's going to be identical it's here's a really interesting faction here's some cool facts in this universe they may or may not have very dire consequences. The, the the big example being like the, the Kenpaitai in the. Oh, the
0: Japanese uh, sectorial. Yeah. So I guess for people who are uninitiated to that, the Japanese sectorial army, they effectively were owned by Yujin, uh which is the sort of space China. And just recently in one of the previous sort of expansions, a couple months ago, I think they, had a separatist movement that, that was actually successful and funded by a rival superpower, pan or pan or however people want to pronounce it. Anyways, as a direct result, they broke away completely from their sort of mother faction and are now their own kind of separate thing, which is really quite neat, characterful, and they've gotten new units, but also lost some and had some pretty dynamic changes to their whole lineup as a result.
2: Yeah. So things like that, like, you know, if you, if you get in, if you find yourself emotionally invested or intellectually invested in, in that aspect of the game, there's a lot in there to reward you just Mm -hmm. on a case by case basis. But Corvus Belly takes it the next step and the the entire universe can change moving forward and is likely to change in, in you know, just like in the real world, some cases it's going to be, oh, this is going to be cool. In some cases, it's, oh no, why would you do that? And in, mm-hmm. in both
0: cases, it just you know it sinks its claws in, and you're you're hooked. Yeah. So the the first couple of I guess episodes or the series of episodes that we're working on for this podcast is primarily going to be focused towards new players. What's it all about? Getting in there, getting the fundamentals. So for me, a, a player of many games, Infinity is definitely my main game, and what I like about it the most, aside from, of course, the the ARO or Automatic Reaction Order and the ability to kind of respond to your opponent's actions, is stuff like camouflage and thermo-optic camouflage, uh, jump troopers, and things like that. And those terminologies may be completely foreign or a little bit baffling at first to new players because they are unusual concepts that are, I think, foreign to most other current war games. Take, for example, camouflage. We will probably end up doing, I think, a whole episode on camouflage itself, because the uses for it, tactica, strategies, and how you would effectively build armies using that as a tool is very unique to the game. And, and effectively for the, the new listener, what that provides is instead of having a model on the table, you put a token down, and that token represents something that is undiscovered, kind of like a blip on the radar when you're watching the movie Aliens, and then you know, the blip moves around. So in that way, you're essentially playing a game that is unknown with your opponent potentially, and they might also have surprises for you. And so one of the game mechanics, I think that is so fundamentally interesting about infinity is that it's very asymmetrical. You're, you're going to be surprised. You're not going to know what your opponent necessarily is bringing to the table. And so it's sort of the anticipation, the buildup, finding out, you know, is that, is that a mine or is it a, a real person or is it a decoy? Or, you know, if somebody like John has done, just brutal things with Hollow Echo. And Hollow Echo is kind of basically just cribbed directly from the first version of that movie on Mars with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, was it Given the Air, Cohagen?
1: <laughs> was that one? That's a good question. Uh, you know, the Get Your Ass to Mars. Cool uh, recall. Yeah,
0: pretty- Get Your Ass to Mars. Total Recall, Recall. the original Total Recall. So he has like the sort of mirror image kind of technology that he uses towards the ends of the film, spoiler alert. And uh, it 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 basically makes run out on that. Yeah, yeah. So like the, the sort of image cloning technology that makes it so that there's like five or six of you in a room walking around and people start shooting that. Well, there's elements of that in Infinity, which to me is one of the most outstanding features because it is breaking up the kind of static and very much rote attempts for like stealth and otherwise, and, and various other sort of common war games where this really does make it so that you can't actually target that model. You know, something's there because it's picked up on your sensors or whatever, potentially, but you can't actually interact with it uh, until you've discovered it. And so for me, that's one of the elements that I think sticks out the most in terms of the value that I take away from playing the game.
1: I think there's like, as we talked about the movies, like I think I'll- There'll be a movie and a figure or a rule that will remind somebody of something or appeal to them in some way, uh, and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, just like Predator or you know, Aliens with the big guys with the guns, like the um, Ariadnes. What are they called? Blackjacks that everybody everybody wants.
0: Oh yeah, yeah like the Exosuit. Like, yeah,
1: there is that uh, possibility for everyone. So I think everybody will. Have right. some sort of takeaway from, you know, a movie or a book reference, and be like, yeah, that's that's really cool. I want to play that faction because of that. Uh, that and yeah. people, as they read the, the forums and the WGC site on the uh, Facebook, they'll probably see this thing about rule of cool, where it's you know they people pick a faction simply because they think the models look cool. But there's I think there's a little bit more to it than that. There's also the lore, or again, like, you know, because it reminds you of that movie. So that whole rule of cool. Mm -hmm.
0: How about yourself, Haley?
2: But even mechanically, like, if, if you really, I mean, if you want to play a faction where you just want to roll up with a bunch of really high tech guys in power armor and, you know, heavy machine guns and broadswords in case they're dumb enough to come closer to you and you want to have that, deep crusade era feel you can do that if you want to play the faction where your opponent sees two models on the field and over a dozen little camo markers half of which aren't real some of which are mines and it's your guess what the other ones are then you can play (laughs) guys like the russians the ones that uh, that i've been experimenting with for a while and absolutely loving and i mean you can have drop troops that your opponent doesn't even know exist i mean haq islam for example can take all that stuff to the next level they can do camo games they can do uh, thermo-optic camel where you don't even put the model on the table. Your opponent doesn't even know to expect it. You can have Holloweka echo level two, like you're saying, with just multiple versions of the same guy hopping around. But you can also have Holloweka echo level one, where you have one model pretending to be another model. So your opponent thinks that's, you know, some big hulking heavy infantry. He's like, oh, if I go around the corner, that guy's going to end my day. And the reality mm-hmm. is just, you know, some lieutenant hiding in a corner going, please don't look at me. Please don't look at me. There's uh-huh. it, it really, you can tailor how you play so well because there's so many different options to the game i
1: think that really goes into saying that this is probably one of the most strategic games out there for miniature games because you can play those kind of games like you 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 can just have a pure brawler force everybody that you see in the tables who who they are and they just run towards you and shoot you or you can play those games where oh do you have a drop trip do you have a camouflage marker do you have a decoy like there's there's tons of neat little rules and you know we'll definitely get into that as the episodes go go on um because they can be quite complicated like a hacker can even look like somebody else there's just so much strategy and so much in my opinion so much fun being able to see those synergies or you know duping your opponent or landing in his back arc and being able to take out a whole forest from behind. Like it's, it's, it's such a unique game in that respect.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. So it stands out in in terms of all of us as experientially the war game of choice mm-hmm. for a number of reasons, but it can be a bit cerebral to learn once you've got the basics though. It's actually an incredibly deep and very satisfying game to continue playing and learning and growing in. But that, that initial hump I think can be, challenging for people. Um, I know, you know, particularly with regards to things like hacking uh, or camouflage, we hope to at, at this point, going through these processes, disambiguate for the listener, but going to the very core pieces of what infinity is in terms of the mechanics and breaking it down from the very basics here. The, the models are cool. And if you, if you dig the models and you dig the faction, you're going to be able to make your army work. So, so grab the starter box or, you know, the, the boxed army or whatever kind of collection of models you see fit to do. And then sit down to plugging them into the free army builder and, and kind of populating the troops that you have into there. You'll notice that when you, when you jump into the army builder app, there are a plethora of different versions of that trooper, uh, different troop profiles. And those are given out as options with different points costs, different skills, stats, armaments, and also swc or special weapons cost now before we get into that last point we can kind of dive in through the detail of the stat line itself yeah so let, let's, let's break down the stat line and kind of explain yeah. what they all mean in in the game of infinity you play on the the four by four table typically so four four feet by four feet or 48 inches or however many centimeters and most troops in the game are going to have a four-inch first increment of movement, meaning when you allocate an order or when you spend an order from your order pool, then that trooper can move a set number of inches based on that first increment. They then have the ability to take a second action if they don't, say, shoot or dodge or do some other skill, and then they can move forward further. So in the most cases, troops on average are going to have a 4 dash four movement. And that means that the troop will be able to move four inches in its first increment and then four inches in its second, eight inches basically per order, which is a decent clip on a four by four table. Yeah. And infantry, which you'll often see as say four dash two, because it's
2: representative, mm-hmm. you know, big clunking heavy guys. They, they can't mm-hmm. move around as quickly. Or mm-hmm. on the other side of the spectrum, you've got, you know, we're talking about Akira bikes and stuff like that. I think they're uh, at least in the, the Haka Islam side, their bikes are often eight six. So, you know, when they want to move, they're going 14 inches They're they're leaving the, the infantry behind in the dust to represent that these bikes are that much faster than just your your average foot slogging infantry.
1: And I think just <clears> to uh, clear things up why, why it's one number than another number, there's a, just a, a quick blurb, but uh, we have the orders that we mentioned out of the order pool. Now, those can be split up into like a move move or a move shoot or a move close combat basically each character each profile each each figure gets that uh, double action if you want to spend an entire order on a more complicated rule that a character may have like going to re camo after he's already shot and revealed himself that takes an entire order so there's that's what that's why it's split up like that
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. And we will get into the structure of orders after the stat line. But that is a, a very good sort of primer on sort of what makes that difference between the four slash four, or what have you coming after movement, you'll see a lot of the stat lines in war games kind of vaguely familiar, you know, you've got a, a shoot skill, a close combat skill, armor, defense, that kind of thing. Infinity is analogous to a lot of those in certain degrees. It also has a lot of shared traits with uh, role playing stat lines. So the close combat skill there, or CC, is reflective of their trained or innate ability to be badass with a knife or what have you. It's actually not a very common skill to find in Infinity, because Infinity is a game of guns and black ops tactical combat, where you know the closest you're going to get to somebody is maybe 10 feet away. I thought blasting you played at the them. Japanese. <laughs> have you seen uh, their Oniwabu and
2: Ninjas? They absolutely get up close. What's that? You have a giant death machine? No problem. Meet Space Age Sword.
0: Yes, there are definitely exceptions to the rule. But, I mean, the the difference between, say, Infinity and some other games is that because it's somewhat of a hard sci-fi setting, guns tend to outperform close combat, and it's much more difficult to get into close combat. It's definitely worth it with certain types of troops. As noted the other night when I played uh, Hakislam for the first time, I was using a a special dude that's basically designed to get into close combat and just destroy people. And his name is Al Jabal. And if you, if you are interested, go check out that profile and look up some of the special rules. You will blow your mind. That guy, that guy is really good at chopping people up, but generally speaking, I think maybe the consensus is that close combat is a fairly risky maneuver. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. That certain factions
2: can tailor to it, better than others for instance the the Caledonian Highlander army being a bunch of rabid Scotsmen are uh, mm-hmm. are ac- are excellent in close combat but even then i mean it's not necessarily where they want to be the uh, the Pan-Oceanian military orders you know the the knights of the church again mm-hmm. they're great in close combat but they're also very capable of shooting the the Japanese the JSA are very very deadly in close combat but all that being said, none of those are what one might consider a dedicated close combat faction, and I don't think there's such thing as a dedicated close combat faction. Like you say, it's very much a hard sci-fi game. There are circumstances where you want to sneak in through a window and slit someone's throat with a monofilament knife, but mm-hmm. I'd say a good eighty to ninety percent of the time, you know, when you have. You know, rifles, shotguns, heavy machine guns, panzer fausts, missile launchers, rockets, spitfires, and every other weapon that science has invented. I mean, guns rule the battlefield, and you, you have to uh, you have to cater to that. Mm-hmm. But never underestimate the value of a silent knife in the back. Oh, Algebel's a category unto himself. Yeah. <laughs> Sometime in the future, we need to do a talk on Fidesz and Algebel, <laughs> but that's a, that's a, that's
0: a later <laughs> subject yeah so what we're what we're kind of referring to with that is a a special rule called impersonation but again advanced stuff so close combat's cool but probably less common one of the Uh, things
1: that uh, makes close combat a lot more risky is generally even if you have an amazing close combat score you're still only hitting the majority of time i think there's only maybe three four figures that are allowed to do two attacks, but generally you're doing one attack roll against one attack roll in close combat.
0: Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're shooting a gun, you get burst two, three, four, and effectively the burst value of that is how many dice you're going to get. And comparing to say your opponent's one dice, having more chances to be successful and win the face to face roll is core. I think it's worth um, noting how the how the dice mechanic works at its
2: very core. Just, just so that when we're talking about like what burst matter, what burst really brings to the table, what dice versus dice means for the game. So, yeah, so how it works is it's a d twenty system. You know, put put your d sixes in back in their box and hide them under the bed. You don't need them anymore. This is good old good old d twenties. So you're gonna roll a d twenty. You're gonna have your associated stat. So if you're stabbing someone, it'll be close combat. If you're shooting someone, it'll be ballistic skill. Uh, and then you know. There's other stats for uh, other skills. But you're going to roll that, and it's going to tell you what number you need to roll. You're trying to roll that number or less. If you roll above it, it didn't work out for you. You didn't get it. However, you're not just rolling this in a vacuum. Your opponent wants to do something about this. So if you're shooting them, they're going to shoot back. You're each rolling trying to get lower than your ballistic skill, but you're trying to get higher than your opponent. So you want to roll high enough to get a better result than your opponent, but low enough to get underneath your ballistic skill your relevant stat, in this case, ballistic skill. So there's kind of, it's not so much like, say, a Dungeons & Dragons where, you know, you roll a 20 and, hey, whatever it is I was trying to do worked, although there are crits in this game. Um, mm-hmm. But that, that's kind of the, the core mechanic. So you're, you're rolling off against each other. So you're, you're trying to not only beat a number that your your stat line is giving you, but you're trying to beat your opponent as well. And so that's when we say you're rolling one dice against one dice, you're getting into a little bit of a dicey situation where, you know, you could have ah, a great, no yeah, I feel bad. Um, you're getting into this kind of situation where if your opponent just happens to roll an eight, you happen to roll a two. Well, you, you may both have succeeded. However, they rolled better than you. Your, your martial arts master just got stabbed in the neck by a media oh. correspondent.
0: <laughs> that actually happened to me. Not that long ago. <laughs> I used a, uh, I used a, an O.N. Waban, like a special character ninja-type dude, and I ran into close combat with a Pan-Oceanian Fusilier, which is just like a basic line trooper mook, you know, smoking a pack of cigarettes, minding his own business. And I come up behind him, and he turns around and stabs me with a knife and kills my ninja, and I was like, oh, okay, it's like that then.
2: But that can happen with, with any of the roles. I mean, it's the same thing with shooting. The The big thing that I think John was trying to point out is, when you're rolling in close combat, unless you're one of these very rare cases where you're a real martial arts master, like some of the, the high-level uh, Oni Waban or um, Hussein al you generally are rolling one dice against one dice. Whereas if you're rolling something like a rapid-fire weapon, like uh, even just a basic rifle, you're rolling three dice, and your opponent is probably only going to be rolling one. So just the weight of dice becomes a very, very important factor.
0: Mm-hmm. Much like uh, if people have played XCOM before or seen XCOM, the computer game, it's not just about sort of the, the symmetrical engagement of firefight, straight on, to straight on. With Infinity, it does encourage you to take angles and thinking outside of the box on how to kind of dismantle your opponent's battle line and achieve the objectives. So much like with XCOM, where if you flank somebody, you negate their cover, uh, you can suppress them more easily, they freak out and, and kind of break and run away. Those mechanics are mimicked in, in this game where it's not just a straight firefight typically. You want to be able to try and maximize your advantages and minimize your opponent's advantages. True.
2: Yeah, that's where you kind of get into different different factions can bring different things to the table, like to, to grossly over uh, generalize Pan-Oceania tends to be very good shots. So they tend to have a, a much higher ballistic skill on average. than, than That their... brings us
0: <laughs> to our next bullet point, <laughs> which is ballistic skill. <laughs> very very apt. I play Pan-Oceania. Hale, you play Pan-Oceania. Uh, and... I, I play one specific version of Pan-Oceania. I play the military orders. All right. So you're the giddy-up deus vault knights. Always deus vault. Yes. Always. Unless you're Teutonic Knights, in, in which case something else
2: not actually certainly oh, no, was the, of the Teutonic knights is I do run it was the knights Templar no, uh, well they, but, um, they don't exist so much anymore very, very much like actual history there there's a, a parallel that if anybody's interested in uh, in the military orders in uh, pan Oceania I highly encourage you to look into their the the backstory of this game parallels actual history in a really cool way I encourage you to read that
0: yeah, it's it's definitely pretty cool. And again, more of that depth in the lore. But getting back to the core pips here, as it were. So we've talked a little bit about dice mechanic and how that interacts with, say, close combat, with shooting. Most of the time, you're going to be shooting a, a gun in, a, in your active turn because you have active and reactive. And so on the active turn, it means you're the guy spending the orders. On the reactive turn, it means you're going to be, you know, the person basically responding to those orders being spent and so your number of shots that you throw back, or the number of dice that you throw back at people will typically be diminished. It, it's sort of meant to stimulate uh, or simulate rather the camera time in an action movie. You know, you zoom in on Rambo and then you zoom out and then you zoom in on this guy over here and he's, you know, gets a bit of camera time to do his thing. And so that's kind of one of the, the fundamentals there about how that's sort of balanced. With ballistic skill, typically the stat line for ballistic skill ranges from about at its worst nine. Is probably the worst, like base ballistic skill in the game for troopers, and then it goes up to about 15 at its best for the most elite troop in the game. Says so uh, the guy. To who my runs knowledge, models that have 15s. <coughs> True. To my knowledge, there is no model that has ballistic skill st- 16 base. I think everything is, is, what is the ballistic skill 15 or less. So BS 15 or 14. I, I think it's a really good shot, but it's not. It's not quite that high. Yeah, I'm I'm I don't even think the Avatar is the highest. I think it's only <laughs> 14.
2: i am looking him up now because I'm curious, but I think he's only fourteen. I think it's yeah. the uh I think it's some of the elite Panoceanian stuff, like some of their tags and elite heavy infantry that are the the highest. No, I stand yeah, corrected. The Avatar all... is also a ballistic Skill fifteen.
0: Yeah. All all the Pano tags except for I think the Stingray series, which are the lighter tags, have BS fifteen. Mm-hmm. So they're they're pretty good at shooting. Now each faction is gonna have their own flavor and stuff like that, which we will get into later. But just on this sort of general curvature of of a dice roll, most are gonna have at at base level a 50% chance to hit per dice, assuming that they, they don't have any modifiers applied to it. So modifiers are a big part of infinity, and we talk about that a little later after we summarize the summarize the stat block. But the the modifiers will will affect the way you have a success uh, percentage. And in the same way that you see with uh, XCOM, if they're in cover, if it's bad range, that kind of stuff. So ballistic skill is key for the better part of the game. And it's going to be one of the most important stats when you're assessing your models uh, and you're picking out kind of the relevant thing that you're going to do in the turn. Because a lot of the time, movement followed by shoot skill is is the most sort of, I would say the most common order that you're going to likely spend in, in, in the game. Yeah, I'd say that's, that's fair. So following from that, Physique, or abbreviated to PHYS, Physique is sort of your physical conditioning, your fortitude, and your stamina, as well as your agility, kind of all in one. And that is effectively not only how you're going to be hitting people in close combat, like how much strength and, and, and force you put behind the blow but also the, the kind of skill and, and uh, battlefield conditioning that you might have for dodging bullets and getting down and outside of cover or into cover rather. So Fizz comes up quite a bit for those activities, but it's also used for a couple of other interesting things like infiltration. So if you're deploying a trooper on the table that has one of these special rules, they will need to roll under their physique, for example, to, to have a successful infiltration. And they may end up being modifiers to that. Uh, additionally, Jump troopers as well will have that as, as sort of like a, a stat that they would need to roll on.
2: It's also something that uh, any uh, inherently physical activity, like say throwing a grenade, you know, it doesn't really matter how good aim you have. It, it matters, you know, if you want to huck a grenade down an alley, you have to be strong enough to huck it. So that's mm-hmm. that's uh, that's also a physique stat as well. And in some cases, if uh, if you're injured, there are certain ways to try to bring a trooper back to, to fighting shape that, that rely on their physique, like regeneration or certain med kits or, or things like that. They're a little more complex, but nonetheless, you know, the, the
0: more hardy the, the individual is, the more likely it is to work. So, yeah, that's a, a, an important stat for a number of different things. And then you've got next to that uh, to, to simulate sort of the, the mind to the body uh, is the whip stat or willpower. And so willpower is frequently used to attempt technical skills, like uh, activating a computer console or performing a hacking uh, activity or attack. Additionally, you might use your willpower to discover a unknown camo marker uh, and reveal it. And, and so it can be quite a crucial stat. And playing pan am I'm, I'm often lamenting how, how poor my, my willpower stat is, but I am compensated for that by the fact that I have excellent ballistic skill. So I can shoot stuff, I just can't think straight.
2: Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, the, the, the iconic counterpoint is uh, Haq Islam where their ballistic skill tends to be average to just, just subpar of, I mean, they're, they're not terrible shots, but they're, they're not anywhere near Pan-Oceania, but what they bring to the table is on average, their willpower is far superior. They're, they're extreme. they their backstories are extremely well-educated and, and fanatically loyal to their beliefs. So they're, they, they have, uh, they have that advantage. So they tend to be very, very good uh, engineers and, uh, the best doctors in the game. They have very good hackers and all that good stuff. But when it comes to simply putting a bullet downrange, they they tend to see the advantage. to factions One of the things like, that uh, you like is for
1: mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. on troops, and and you can see this really well uh, on their basic troops is that, uh, like say for Panoshyanya, the fusiliers have generally one extra ballistic skill compared to the other factions, as opposed to. A ghulam for Hakazlam would have one extra whip compared to the uh, other factions, which is the, the the short version for willpower.
2: Yeah, like mm-hmm. Ariadne, for example, will, will
0: generally have one extra physique. Yeah, everybody's got sort of their their focus and conditioning and training and just natural endurance, as it were, and so that that plays out on the stat line quite evidently. Next to willpower is uh, one of my favorite stats, and that's arm, your armor, as it were, which is a composite of, you know, bullet deflection, uh, force absorption, and the ability to prevent shock and trauma, which is huge because you're going to get shot at in this game a lot. So most most troops, baseline troops in the game, will have a armor of one. And effectively what that means is when they're called to take a damage roll, they'll add that one. To their damage roll, and as long as they exceed the the damage roll, say an average gun has a strength of thirteen or damage thirteen, they need to roll a thirteen in that case or higher because they can't even the roll. They can't sort of equal. They have to exceed, and that one that they have for armor is then added to the roll. So if you're getting shot with just like a basic gun, then getting getting hit and, and rolling that 13 or higher means that you've succeeded in surviving and, and the bullet has been effectively deflected or is non-lethal in that case. It still means that you might panic. And so in this game, you know, shell shock and psychology are part of that, where after you succeed your armor roll, you still have to check your willpower to see if you stand up or if you freak out and duck and, and die for cover. And that can be crucial because survival doesn't always necessarily mean the you know the the best result you know you want to be able to stick up and you know maybe keep that fire lane closed with some opposition so armor is going to stack up on heavier things like heavy infantry and and other things as well but uh, yeah I mean is there any sort of outstanding pieces for armor that you guys really like that you'd you'd want to sort of talk about a bit the yodel?
1: well one of the things that uh, I think should be mentioned <laughs> is and, and I mean, Christoph that's... you you mentioned it with uh, for armor you want to get higher than Role for when you're making your armor save all the other skills generally you're wanting equal to or less than so armor is the one that kind of stands out a little bit it's not equal to it's you have to be mm-hmm. higher than you have to beat
0: that role that might actually be the one example and where rolling is higher it, which is, we'll get is better here. when hale was mentioning the the Jotam or the Yotum, that is a a tactical armored gear basically a mecha gundam kind of construct that is usually piloted whether remotely or you know physically inhabited by somebody piloting the suit. The Yotam is the highest armor in the game. It has 10, which means that small arms fire, even outside of cover, will mostly bounce off of it, which is impressive. Once you get that thing in cover, only anti-material, like anti-tank stuff that's armor-piercing uh, is really going to dislodge it effectively. So the uh, the Jotum is the final word in, in armor, in Infinity. Most tags hover between 5 to 8, armor value, which means that small arms fire will, generally speaking, powder off harmlessly against them. But still, there's a reasonable chance to do damage, particularly if it's weighted fire. And so that's kind of one of the neat things is that you've got that scale of durability where small arms fire, you know, you can still hurt stuff. You just need to put a fair bit of it into something, preferably outside of cover. Another kind of
1: thing that, actually that you mentioned is uh, go ahead. there are armor bonuses to using your the well, the terrain that's on the table, which will actually add to your armor value. So it's which we'll get into eventually.
0: So next to uh, next to that, we have the biotechnological shield, or BTS for short. Ayla, did you want to talk a little bit about BTS?
2: Yeah, I mean, to oversimplify, BTS is armor for non-physical things, so it can be used of for- uh, if if a hacker is trying to turn your heavy your, your heavy power armor off, it's going to be your BTS that, that acts as a firewall to try to stop them from doing that. It also works for things you know. If uh, um, one of the things we're, we're kind of touching on just a little bit is there, there's different ammunition in the game. So you, you have your, your good old fashioned normal ammo, which is you know firing lead rounds downrange. But it's, this is a science fiction game. You've got you know armor penetrating. Um, you know, big explosive rounds, all that stuff, but they also got some kind of cool and, and creepy stuff like breaker ammunition, which kind of shocks your system and kind of kills your brain or viral ammunition, where as soon as it penetrates your skin, your, your body has to fight off an immediate infection or die. And it's think BTS is, is, uh, you're safe to try to survive things like that. So it's, uh, it's not something you're going to use, I would say as often as armor, but
0: when it matters, Oh, it matters. Yeah. Yeah. Having recently started Islam and having played against, you know, various different factions that have like viral weapons, when you are rocking, you know, like a heavy infantry suit and you're like, ah, bullets are fine. And then something hits you and penetrates your armor and delivers you know a viral dose of toxins to your bloodstream. That's going to immediately stop your heart like a box jellyfish sting. It's a, it's a significant problem. Yeah. I think the the biggest
2: iconic example I can recall playing is uh, when I'm playing Toha, who are you know an alien race who are kind of the the local kings of biological weaponry and uh, you know biotechnology and stuff like that. So they, they hand out viral like it's candy going out of style. And uh, another faction is uh, the United States of Ariadna, uh which are very low tech, but super heavily armored. And whenever those two go up against each other, usually the Americans have a very bad day because they're you know big giant suits of nice tough armor just don't do anything to stop the viral ammunition. And that's that's a perfect example. And you know the entire faction has three armor or more, which is just tough as nails. But their BDS is. is almost universally zero because these, these you know these guys are a low tech faction. They don't have a way to to combat these alien viruses. So th- things like that is, is what I'm talking about. Armor is going to matter more often, but BTS, when it does come to play, can be a, a huge swing.
0: Yeah. I, I just a note about the Geneva Convention. In the future, there is something called the Concilium Convention. And largely speaking, superpowers will deny that people are using flamethrowers and anti-personnel mines and flechette weaponry and biological weapons. But in the game of Infinity, it's not so much a game of pitched battle of your army versus my army. It's your tactical uh, strike force versus my tactical strike force. And there's plausible deniability, cleanup crews, and whole kinds of stuff like that. So you'll see weaponry in this game that, largely speaking, should very much be illegal.
2: And that's uh, that, that's kind of one of the, the aspects of the game that's, that's really cool. Uh, th- this isn't a game of... One massed army facing off across an empty plain against another massed army. This is a game of, you know, black ops teams, you know, bag men, the, the wet work stuff. This this is. We this were never here. Exactly. And, and no, if you get into the backstory, I mean, certain factions are. I would say more evil than others, but nobody is black and nobody is white. Everything is different shades of gray, and it makes everything that much Pretty more. Pretty sure Akari Company is just black.
0: Okay. Akari Company are slavers, so.
2: <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. One exception. But I mean, you, you talk about factions like the Assassin Bahram, they're not just a bunch of like evil people who kill people for fun. They're a very nuanced faction, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make them any more good than they are evil. And so for guys like me who really. You know, get a, a thrill on the, the backstory side of stuff. There's a lot that, that goes into that goes into that and, and, and makes it really cool. This is this is very much the the kind of stuff that doesn't make it to the news. You know, the government's
0: changing hands and nobody's entirely certain why. Yeah. So next up we've got the wounds characteristic. Wounds are gonna be typically one your troopers are fragile and bullets will kill them Can when, when a trooper, like a basic trooper, is going to take a, a hit uh, if they fail their armor save uh, or armor roll as it were, they'll drop to unconscious, which is a, a null state, removing their effectiveness from the game, they don't generate an order, which is very important and they can't really do a lot there are some factions that don't mind being dead, like Shazvasti, but generally speaking, when you are unconscious it's generally a bad thing so, there are exceptions to the sort of one wound profile. You'll often find heavy infantry uh, is a terminology that you'll probably become familiar with very quickly. Uh, most of the cool big dudes in power armor are considered heavy infantry, uh, and they typically have an extra wound as a result because there's biological, like, medic equipment that keeps them from basically getting knocked out instantly uh, but also that you know they can deflect wounds and take more battle damage before they penetrate in and mess you up in your in your guts so heavy infantry have two wounds very rarely you'll find things that have say three structure very analogous to wounds they function more or less the same to a large degree in the game Uh, so structure and wounds are somewhat interchangeable but with some caveats so you'll find like your tactical armored gear your big robot that's usually going to have three structure, which means that taking three hits is, is a big deal in Infinity. You know, like, it's, it's a lot of bullets to get to there.
2: Yeah, there's, uh, I'm trying to think for anything in the game that would have three wounds. I, I know the Toha do, um, but, but they, they play things very differently. I don't think anything in the game has natively more than than three wounds. The the Toha Gorgos has three, which is their version of their tactical armor gear. That's their their super heavy. It's a meat suit, suit. exactly. Uh, so it has three, and then you can actually kill the suit off, and the pilot runs around, who's significantly less effective. And I think that's the most in the game. I think everybody else you're you're rocking three wounds or less, which which. Certain weaponry, like you know, if you get hit by a missile, a missile is perfectly capable of taking three wounds straight off you. Which, which makes you know, we talk about the lethality of the game. You really don't have any model. I mean, even the yotam who's who's just a monster. If the yotam just walks blindly across the table with complete impunity and, and thinks he can get away with it, he's going to eat a lot of fire, and that's going to tell he's going to get blood off. There's no real super unit that can shrug off an entire enemy's army worth of uh worth of firepower and 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 just live to tell about it. You really have to be careful in what your units are doing. This is this is a science fiction environment. The rounds are very lethal. The ammunition is is very advanced. You even the big things can go down hard. You ha- you have to know what you're doing.
0: Yeah. So fragility is is kind of one of the essences to the wounds and structure characteristic is that your troopers aren't meant to take bullets. So whenever you can avoid it, do if you've ever played XCOM, think of this as hard mode. If your guy gets hit, he's going down. There's no oh, I just took a damage. In most cases, that that dude needs to see a medic right away, or you're going to be calling his family. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's definitely got a bit more of a hard edge to it with that, and that's one of the reasons why I think when you're when you're playing the game, being cagey about your sacrifices and and your losses is huge because uh, as we mentioned before, the mantra is. Try not to get shot. Yep, yeah, too. That's fair. Mm-hmm. And something I need uh, to keep which brings us to our, our next sort of feature with the the stat profile is it has an interesting kind of concept with the, the game is silhouettes. Your model isn't necessarily true line of sight because you take up a cubic volume of space based on the size of your person, a standard human trooper is a silhouette two, which is roughly 1.75 inches tall or so. That model volume has like a little marker as well. So you can always check your lines of sight. So if you've got like a, a finicky model, like a sniper who's kind of kneeling or crouching down, that isn't necessarily representative of their actual occupancy on the table, which is something that you want to be cognizant of both with your opponent and yourself and just Make sure that you're you know checking those lines of sight and asking your opponent hey you know can my guy see your guy that will come up very frequently in terms of the one determining, of the things, you know uh, like, uh, what courses i would advise take
1: anybody who's e- even interested in getting into this game because the rules are free you can go onto the infinity corvus belly website and download the book uh and if you want a clear picture about what we're talking about, uh, you can go to page 17 of the rulebook and it'll go from S1 to S7, which is the different size variations. And I give an example as well, like an S4 is a biker. The big tags that we were talking about uh, are S7s. And when you're looking at it on the battlefield, you should try to consider it as walking cylinders of a certain height and a certain width. Your opponent, when you walk around that corner, he can see that mm-hmm. cylinder, like not just your gun sticking out or whatever. And I know I've, I've, I've ran into this issue before with a player where, you know, oh, that's not true line of sight. It, it's not, you're just walking cylinders. So you have to really keep that in mind as you're playing the game. And it, it simplifies things a lot. Like, oh, I can see your gun. I can shoot you. Well, it's only my gun. Why can you shoot me? Mm-hmm. Like it takes away that argument. Uh, and I, I personally think it's a good dynamic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It eliminates the need for a lot of fiddliness, which can exist in in games where there isn't a determined volume with which a model has occupancy. The same, and I'll probably do this a lot for parking to examples here for XCOM, but if you've played that game or seen it, you have uh, squares or, or maybe hexes in certain types of games, right? And so if you have a model that occupies a square or hex uh, in XCOM, it has a, a cubic volume. Right, and it's not just you know that model is you know half of the cubic volume. They they take up the whole space, regardless if the model in the situation looks like it's crouching or otherwise. Uh, so it really helps to just know those those sizes. Have the silhouette markers on hand. They're probably one of the most important and useful tools that you can employ in playing Infinity, because it'll help you just master that first sort of hurdle of ensuring you know where your models are. How big they are, and and are they exposed or not? So you don't get caught out on, say, oh, well, my guy has line of sight to your guy. Well, I mean, my guy's behind cover. Yes, he's behind cover, but not total cover. So it's just making sure Absolutely. that that kind of dynamic is is clear for both players.
2: One of the one of the aspects that I, I really like about it not only does it allow for a cleaner game, it allows for a lot in the world of modeling because you can mm-hmm. have a sniper like crouched and hunched hunkered down low like looking over rubble and functionally they're exactly the same as the badass heavy infantry who's standing there leaning on his claymore with his heavy machine gun held arrogantly in the air they they both take up the exact same amount of space so as far as the game is concerned they play the same in this this nice clean simple way but it gives mm-hmm. you, if, if you're the kind of player who, who really wants to get into the, the modeling side, who really wants to get into the visual side, it gives you a wealth of options without giving you any advantage or penalizing you for doing so.
0: Yeah. So with that said, silhouettes are a core piece that you should definitely check out if you haven't. As John said, page 17. Great with the uh, the reference there, buddy. The next piece is the AVA or availability. So in Infinity, you've got different sort of factions and then sub-factions, or sectorials as they're called. And depending on what faction or sub-faction you've chosen, you might have more or less availability of a particular troop type. Uh, take, for example, the umbrella of the main faction, we'll say Pan-Oceania. In pan you have total availability of Fusiliers, which are their basic line trooper, the grunts, the sort of the dudes that, that are just sort of regular soldiers, in a sub-faction like NeoTerra, which is sort of like the CIA kind of equivalent to Pan-Oceania, there are only availability five, which is still pretty good. You still can take five of these guys, but you're you a restricted in the number that you can take. You'll often find more specialized or elite troops are going to be AVA one or two, so you can't spam stuff, which is, I think, a really redeeming feature in game balance and flavor because you can actually have a diverse lineup of troopers uh, and not just have a whole tidal wave of zerglings type of thing.
2: Yeah and uh, we, we kind of touched on the idea of of sectorials to to give them their, their simplest view. They're they're a way of playing a faction within a faction. So you know you, you can play as Panoceania, what we'll usually call vanilla Panoceania, which gives you all the options that they'd normally have, or you can play one of their their sectorials, which is kind of you know something that's thematically one thing or another. So uh, to give an example I'm a bit more familiar with, in, in Haq Islam, one of the units you can take is a Assassin Mo'yib. And if you play Haq Islam, you have AVA-2. So you can have up to two Assassin Mo'yibs uh, in, in any given army. Uh, Kawarij, another has ha- or another um, Haq Islam troop, has AVA-3. So you can have two Mo'yibs and three Kawarij. Now, if I want to play a variation of... On Haq Islam, uh, the the Hassan Bahram, I can take six Hassan Moyibs instead of two, so I have three times as many of them as I could have using the regular uh, Hak Islam list. However, I'm not allowed to take any Kawarish. They're they're not something that fits thematically with uh, with the Bahram, so they they don't uh, they're not allowed to be taken at all. So when you're starting out, I mean. Rule of Cool really is the the way to get started in this game. Pick which ones you just, just grab you and which ones you like the story of, which ones you like the models of, well, whatever it is, and, and go mm-hmm. for it. But as you get into the game, and, and they have the free army builder, it's Infinity Army, just Google that. and It's the, the first thing here. It's a great resource. But the different sectorials will tailor
0: what you can have. So something to be aware of. Next up is points, and and next to it as well SWC, which are the resources of the game with which you would recruit your army. Absolutely, John, uh, give, I us, just uh, to give us a like, point for, for somebody new.
1: Hearing like a vanilla a sectorial, like what does that mean? Vanilla is encompasses all of the, f- the units mm-hmm. in that faction, as opposed to a sectorial, which is kind of like a sub faction. So it only has a certain number of selected profiles from the vanilla list. Uh, under that army kind of thing, or that sub faction. So, if you go to the army builder, free free army builder mm. through the Infinity website, you can when you initially click over one of the symbols, it will have Ching, which is the the primary faction, your vanilla faction, and then there's Invincible Army and ISS, which are the sub factions. So, just to, to make sure that everybody's clear on that point. For the SWC, or Support Weapon costs. now Good these are kind of, the, the well, these are your special weapons. These are your Spitfires, HMGs, which is a heavy machine gun, missile launches. So basically the weapons that do more damage have higher rate of fire as opposed to a regular rifle or bow and arrow or chain rifle, those sort of things. So basically these are your advanced weapons the way it's calculated now normally people play in most metas like a 300 point army and as you can see like each of the figures under c that's how many that's what the cost is for that figure profile and there's the swc beside it now most weapons are zero uh, and again with the support weapon cost the, the the hmg might be one it might be 1.5 and where we're looking for most of this uh, conversation today is on page 24 of the rulebook under attributes, and you can see the support weapon costs uh, information there. And now you can also go to page 199 and you can take a look at, say, the first one, the fuselier. Now, there's a few, looks like about half of the SWC cost is zero, while the other half is one, 1. 1.5, 0.5. Now, that just depends on, again, like some of the equipment or weapons that the profile may have. Uh, And if you look on page 24, the Joan of Arc, it actually has a plus beside it. So for every 50 points of your army, you get one SWC cost that you're allowed to use uh, in creating your army. So for 300 points, you have up to six SWC. Now when it has a plus, that gives you an extra SWC, which can be great. So if you have Joan of Arc in your army, who's a lieutenant, you actually have seven SWC you can play with. So that just means more extra weapons or special equipment. So that's pretty much the idea behind the support weapons cost.
0: Mm-hmm. And you'll notice that most troops vary in cost from right around the 10 point mark, sometimes eight uh, at, at the very cheapest things like Ghazi Mutawiya, which are for Islam, uh, I mean, they're maybe a more specialized troop, but they' are five points. So you've got different blocks of, of cost for their skill sets, their weaponry, and their battlefield roles. Uh, most of the time when you have a basic line trooper also referred to colloquially as a cheerleader, uh, there's nothing particularly special about them. They're still very important and very good in the game. But the sort of uh, terminology cheerleader just denotes that they aren't going to necessarily take a active battlefield role first. They normally are people who are there kind of as your backup, holding your fire lines, perhaps providing support in one way or another, and generating orders. So the points cost for those guys is going to be pretty low. On average, a fusilier or a basic trooper, around 10 points, comes with a rifle and a very modest stat line. When you move up from there, troopers like, say, a more elite uh, fighter, like the uh, Kamao, the Bogmary for pan they are equipped with better weaponry and have higher ballistic skill, armor, and perhaps um, things that will influence the game other than just the stat block. So they might have a special skill or or piece of equipment that either gives them an advantage to sensing enemies and or targeting enemies uh, or also um, camouflage type stuff. And so that's where those, those point skills will start to rise. As you see uh, on the very basic, you've got kind of your general dude. Uh, And when you first start out with Infinity, most of the time in demo settings or in in sort of just getting started, you're going to want to sort of play with the the tools and and toys that aren't overly complicated, uh, just so you can get the core mechanics down. So in most of those cases, you're going to be using a couple of um, basic line troopers and maybe a heavy infantry, whose special is essentially he can get shot and not just die. And he also has heavier armor and maybe better weaponry. Um, and in so doing, you get the core pieces of not just evaluating the models that you have, how they might work, and uh, their contribution to the battle. But then from there, you can kind of move up and say, okay, well, I've, I've fought, uh, I've used basic guns and dudes. Now I want to throw a sniper in. Or this guy costs 100 points. W- why does that guy cost 100 points? He must be amazing. And so you know, then building it out from there is probably the most effective way to not hyperextend oneself in the learning process because Infinity can be a complex game to take in and it's best to take in increments. So leaving things like mines or thermo-optic camouflage for later I would agree uh, as we go through the series a couple is something of that I personally
1: would recommend. Operation Ice Storm, uh, Red Veil, That's do that in a, in a great way. Uh, i be, I, we actually learned my friend and I, uh, we had the operation ice storm box. Now, again, like we, we didn't put anything together cause we, I, we were big on priming first and then painting. So we just proxy everything, but going through those missions, I believe there's six of them in each box. They leave out all the complicated rules in the beginning, right? Like the first mission is actually just three guys, three basic guys leaving out a lot of rules, just shooting at each other, just learning that dynamic and then going in each game, sort of more points, more rules advancing. Uh, I don't even think we used hacking for the first 15 games. So, and, and again, like in the rule book, there is that section of advanced rules where that's exactly what it is. Advanced rules. You don't have to use them, you know, just work up to it slowly when you're comfortable with you and your friend. Like if you can find a friend that you can, play with who and learn with that in my opinion is one of the best ways to, to to learn the game and if you have any questions there's the forums there's wgc they answer quite quickly so hopefully there wouldn't be too much of a interruption to your gameplay
0: mm-hmm. absolutely no that's that's probably the the best way to learn in my opinion aside from of course you know if you've got a lively game store that's already got an Infinity community generally speaking people are pretty going to be uh Quite helpful uh, and and keen to to help you get into it because each aspect of the game that you kind of unlock and understand and achieve is uh, is is quite a bit more enriching to the game experience at its at its face level. Shooting each other with basic guns whilst entertaining is a very it's a basic level of playing the game. Whereas once you've got stuff like hacking and camouflage and jump troopers and all the flashy bits that add Infinity's flavor, that's when you're really going to hit your stride. And so. As a point of advice, as you're learning the game, as well as take it slow. If you you know end up getting absolutely blown away, it's okay to re-rack and, and, and restart and, and and just experiment because the first dozen games or so, you'll, you'll see these interactions come up where like somebody will get critically hit and your dude just straight up dies. And it's hilarious. Uh, sometimes it can be a little bit off-putting, but most of the time, it's just a, a fundamentally yeah. good learning experience to move on to the next yeah. step.
2: Yeah, for sure. No, I, I was just going to say, like like you were mentioning, they have the uh, at the time of recording, they've got three of those uh, nice big core sets, which are designed for two players to get into the game. The Operation Ice, uh, Ice Storm, Red Veil, and Cold <laughs> Front are the the three. So, if, if how dare you? If you uh, if you can find someone who who really likes one faction, you like the the other, then I mean that's that's perfect. You're you're golden. But uh, you know things things are often don't always work out that way. The The various um, starter boxes they have for the the factions are actually, uh, mm-hmm. I, I feel pretty confident saying they're universally a great place to start. Like, I can't think of any example mm-hmm. of if you want to play a faction, I would not recommend starting with their starter box. Uh, if for no other reason that it's going to teach you the game, it's going to teach you what that faction is about. And probably in a way that that's quite manageable. And there's, there's a lot to learn. Um, there, I would definitely uh, throw my weight behind you know take it slow. Uh, learning it incrementally is a, the, the way to do it to really digest it all. But once you have the rules under your belt, this isn't like some other systems where you know some factions have rules nobody else has ever heard of and you know you go to a tournament and you know it's got gotcha, you, you've never heard of this now I win. That really doesn't happen. The, the mechanics, as, as involved and, and complex and as rich as they are, are the mechanics. Everybody has them to one degree or another. So you, you know what can happen on a battlefield. You've you've sunk your teeth into it. It's just a matter of what is going to happen and what are you going to do about it.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the stat block and a little bit about the sort of entry point for Infinity. In our next order of business for the following episode, uh, we'll be talking about the structure of an order and the order pool, talking about gunnery and range bands, you know, what makes a good weapon, the right weapon to use at the time and stuff like that. And then, you know, if we have time, we'll also talk about skills, but I think skills and equipment might be its own sort of section as well. But yeah, hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, if you're learning lots, have fun. May your dice critically roll frequently. Thanks for listening to the Coordinated Orders podcast, a Infinity podcast dedicated to training and familiarizing new players with the game.